0: Hello,
1: Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to be talking with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber about this Trojan football team. A lot of questions you guys have sent in about the team, what happened in Oregon, the future of the program. So we're going to get to all of those. Send us any questions you have. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail, 641-715-3900, extension 816 816- Six four six, or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right there. Whatever you do, send in a question. Try to keep them brief. We can't play voicemails that are over a minute long. I had to delete a bunch of those uh, this week already, so sorry about that. And If they're really long questions, I it's just not going to be able to read them all. So try to keep them concise. Keep your questions on point, and we will do our best to get to each and every one of them. Of course, you can go to iTunes.com as well if you want to subscribe to the podcast. iTunes.com slash Podcast a lot of different ways to get a hold of us and we do really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting. Let's bring in Dan Weber. What's up Dan? How are you? Oh,
2: doing good. Doing good. Glad to be back home and uh in the uh warm weather. That's uh, always a nice thing. After two uh cold weather games, we'll see how that how that impacts anything this week, but uh we'll we'll take it for starters.
1: Yeah. Dan Dan and I were both up there in the frigid uh Eugene open air press box which it was a little bit strange i thought um but yeah so we're going to get to all the questions we'll talk about what we saw up there in oregon i wanted to thank our sponsor michael malin real estate so if you're here in southern california somewhere and you're looking to buy or sell definitely check him out he's a true trojan fan we'll see him saturday in the press box for the last time doing stats uh at least last time this year for the usc-ucla game so he's all over the usc program michael Or you can give him a call at 310-275-4688 and he will be, we'll have a little message from him at the end of the show as well. And, uh, yeah, Dan, you know, we're back, uh, from Oregon. We got a lot of questions. I don't know. Do you want to, if you, I'll give you an option. You can have a little opening rant or we can go and and jump in the questions, whatever you'd like.
2: Well, I just think, uh, to look back at the Oregon game. it probably bothers me a little bit that they seemed surprised that they weren't ready to play and that they weren't ready to play full speed. They weren't ready to execute. I mean, this has been kind of, you know, I said they're on a kind of a downward glide path, even though they were able to, you know, hang in there and win those four straight. Uh, you know, they obviously got off to the great start with Utah. But since then, it's just been kind of, not ready to go, not ready to execute, not sure what exactly they wanted to do seemed like you know other teams kind of had a better sense of what they wanted to do and, and that was the most disappointing thing I think about Oregon was the uh kind of inability on both sides of the ball to to have an identity uh to have a sense of you know this is what we have to do to win this football game and uh that was uh that was disappointing, I think uh I know, you know, a lot of injuries. I know a lot of teams got injuries, but, uh, you know, I guess one of the things that surprised me was on the field after the game, you realize, you know, you're standing there next to Vernon Adams and all the U.K. players, you know, who knew him in high school or played with him in high school or whatever, all wanted to be out there and get their pictures taken with him. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this guy's playing quarterback Big time, big time, big time quarterback. He's not any taller than I am. <laughs> I'm thinking, why weren't there more people more times trying to get into throwing lanes? And they did it some the second half. Well you you know, you're gonna block his vision and, and and give him different looks every time down so that he doesn't really get a chance to get real comfortable. And uh it kinda worked, actually. And that's kind of been the, uh, you know, the way to go after him. And I just didn't see that, like, you know, from the beginning, where he's always oh, he's got very easy looks. And once he broke, you know, would break contain or whatever. Now, yeah, you can, you can complain as I probably did and everybody else was that there may have been a little holding going on at the edge. And, you know, when you see USC defensive linemen not able to break away from the guy blocking them. Yeah, I think, eh, it's probably not all really, really that kind of good body. it looked like there was some, uh, you know, some grabbing and holding, but, uh, I still just think I didn't see a smart, well executed game plan that would really work in, in, in that game. And that's what, you know, that's what you need. Oregon, it looked to me like they knew exactly what they wanted to do, how they wanted to take advantage, and USC didn't. And that's a shame. And, uh, I need to, you know, at this time of the year, when, you know, you're basically playing, uh, you know, they got, they got a break finally. You know, they lost the game. They thought they had to win every single game and they lost the game and Utah loses and now, you know, their fate's in their own hands. But, uh, you know, you just got to keep playing better and, and we're not seeing that. So, uh, that's sort of a mini rant. Yeah,
1: that's a good one. That's a good opener. Um, all right. Let's go to, so we're going to have some coaching questions. We'll probably save those through the end and we'll do like team questions first. This is a top Trojan fan. He says, now that this Wilcox defense has proven itself to be a complete failure by giving up more touchdowns than any USC defense in history, including the Monty Kiff and Tampa 2, uh, which we all remember for being terrible. Who would you like to see as our new defensive coordinator? Oh, I guess this is a coaching question. My bad. Our new defensive coordinator next year i know it depends on who the head coach is uh but if it was up to you who would you choose quote i mean it's hashtag fire wilcox from top trojan fan
2: honestly i mean we've had a lot of things in terms of the uh you know the coaching search where we're way out ahead of our skis or whatever you want to say but uh to try to pick a uh you know a coordinator uh before you get the head coach uh i'm sorry I, you just can't do yeah. that i mean it's just it's it's beyond unreasonable i mean it's just it it, it doesn't make any sense but uh, look at it, the pac twelve uh standings and you will be surprised probably to know that uh u s c uh three last weekend was a number three in scoring defense number three in rushing defense um, number four in total defense in the Pac 12, number seven in pass defense. And we haven't seen the stats yet this week, uh, so that obviously dropped out. But actually, they, you know, their defensive performance hasn't been that bad, which is why I think it, it bothers people that, that they could have been a lot better. Uh, I know people still want to get down on the defensive line, but I think. If they were active, and you know, against Oregon, uh, they could have. Uh, you know, they, they just had opportunities that they didn't seem to be willing to take. And see, I think there was one more stat, stat that people would be, I think, shocked about. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's Sachs and I'm trying to find him. Up, oh, here. Well, with, uh, before
1: while you're looking for that, I'll just say one thing. I forgot to mention his P.S. He says I'm writing this from Qatar where I'm deployed on my wow. seventh deployment. I listen to all of your podcasts and love the show. Uh, so I know you'd like to hear from someone who's in, inter- and I know you'd like to, someone, to hear from someone who's international. Definitely international. Love, Thank you for your service, and awesome that you're listening in Qatar.
2: That's wonderful. Oh, man. And, of course, we're never going to know how to pronounce it. I've seen it, you know, I've heard it on CNN. Oh, Qatar. They'll say uh, it one way, Qatar, and they'll Qatar. And I always like Qatar better. But, okay, uh, that's
1: what I was saying.
2: Uh, and Dan, I think other, I know what... I, I see another stat, pass, uh, defense efficiency. Uh No, boom, 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 boom. Where, where am I going here? No, boom, boom, boom. boom. Now that one, they're not so good. Kickoff returns. Trying to look at where kickoff coverage, if we count that as a, their number one. Uh But I can't find sacks. It seemed like, yeah, I think they're leading the league in sacks. Uh but they're tied with Arizona State, uh, but that's amazing that you know, see, their defensive stats are better than when you see a game like Saturday and you think, gosh, are they doing anything right on defense? And yet statistically, he hasn't been that bad, and probably could have been a good bit better.
1: I got uh, the stats. I look. It looks like Arizona State's first. They oh, have, Arizona State is first. They have 44, Oregon has 34, and then USC has 33. So I have them as third.
2: Oh, so that was – okay, so they dropped the third after last weekend. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Arizona, or Oregon moved up after the uh USC game, unfortunately, yeah. for USC.
1: Well, here's a – okay, so that's a good segue, though, into our next question because you want to talk about stats. And I know you brought this up on the conference call. So let me – uh I can pull the exact stats up, but Matt has a question. He says, Hoping to get your Dan's view on the penalty discrepancy for USC and UCLA versus the rest of the Pac-12 teams. Uh, this is my recollect, uh, this is my recollection. It's not just a quote unquote this year thing, but every year I someone try to get, I saw someone try to get Clay to comment on the Sunday call and he avoided it. It can't be that the LA schools are always the most undisciplined. Hate to be a consir- conspiracy theory oriented, but something stinks. Thanks for all the coverage this odd year from Matt.
2: Yeah, something does think. And, and I think the way you figure that out is not so much you could be dis, undisciplined. I think without a doubt USC has been relatively undisciplined over the last few years and, you know, with the transitions and, you know, when you've got five coaches and five years and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, stuff like that's going to happen Uh when you're probably, you know, forced to do things you don't want to do and all that. So you might have more penalties. And UCLA, I think we could all agree, is, you know, their reputation is they're going to hit you, they're going to hit you if you're on the ground, lying on your back, whatever, they're going to hit you, and hopefully get away with it. So, okay, they'd be probably candidates to be down at the bottom in penalties. What doesn't figure is how are both teams' opponents, when you add them all up every game, are also – USC's opponents are the least penalized in the league. UCLA's are the second least penalized. So USC and UCLA have no control over that. Right. You know, that has nothing. uh, The only people who have control over that are the officials. And what that tells you, and that's where Pete went after him after he'd been here about a year, and he realized not only were they getting screwed, but the people they were playing were never called for anything. And I I was at the meeting with Dave Kataya, who does some commentary now I think on but he was the head of the officials and Pete said, Explain this for me. The people we play are the least paralyzed teams in the league. How is that possible? Kataya went, ba he had no answer. <laughs> Everybody knows the answer. They swallow their flags and their whistles or whatever you want to say. When it's USC and somebody else, it, it's it's undeniable. There's no other explanation for the fact that USC and is that USC's opponents are the least penalized in the league. It's always been that way. It's gonna keep being that way unless somebody does something about it. And obviously, nobody cares enough at the Pac-12 to you know say we can't have this. But they you know if you're playing USC, you're probably gonna have a pretty good day. Uh, in terms of penalties because they're not going to call a lot of them on you. And that, you know, and people could say, well, that used to be USC was so much better than the rest of these teams. They just did it because they felt sorry for them. Or the fact that you've got as many officials from Oregon as you do, you know, California. So you've got a, you know, like a 30 times better chance of being a Pac-12 official if you come from Oregon than you do if you come from California. Uh, You know, It's just natural, I guess. You know, they just (laughs) want to make it. uh, You know, so it would be like it would have been like piling on, I guess, if they would have called every game in the you know Pete Carroll era fairly. It would have been looked like piling on because you know that just wouldn't have been right in their mind. But that it continues to this day. It's uh, you know, there's no other explanation for that. That USC's opponents are the least penalized. Teams in the league, Just no no uh, excuse and there's no explanation other than they, you know, they just swallow their whistle, hold on to their flags.
1: So through eleven games, USC's had 53 penalties called against them. That's actually nine fewer than number, you know, than the next uh, team. Um, so 497 total yards, 4.8 penalties per game for opponent, 45.2 yards per game. So UCLA second or second from the bottom in that. Um, right. They have, they have a a full penalty more. So USC's opponents are a full penalty, uh, fewer than the next, than the number 11 team and they're in USC's number 12. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Oregon, Oregon state are three and four. So that could lend some credence to your, there's a lot of officials from Oregon theory, but it's not. Okay. So this was going on during the peak era, but it's actually not, USC's not been at the bottom every year. So I have each year going back to 2008. So. USC's 12 right now after 11 games. In 2014, USC was actually seven and Utah was the most penalized. Uh, so last year it was a little bit different. UCLA was still number 11 last year.
2: You're talking about, uh, most penalized team, not opponents. Penalty, no, right? this is
1: opponent. I'm sorry. This is opponent penalties. So they're, oh,
2: okay. So yeah, that so, moves up and down.
1: So USC's middle of the road 2014. They're number eight in 2013. Uh, actually up to number four. So that was not 2012, not bad. This is the Lane Kiffin stuff. Number seven in 2011. Uh, they were worst in 2010. Number 10, this was one of the Pac 10. Um, number nine in 2000, out of 10 in 2009. And number nine in 2009, in 2008. So like, yeah, I think the peak Carroll era, like you're seeing even at the end when it wasn't as good, USC was always at the bottom. But the last few years, it's not always been that way. But this year, it's it's by a you know by a pretty good margin that USC's the you know, USC opponents are the least penalized in the league. Yeah,
2: and, and there is no explanation that that should never be consistent. That uh, a team's opponents should you know it just shouldn't be consistent. That's basically luck of the draw. Uh, uh, and and if there's a consistency there, there's something wrong. Yeah, and if USC's back to being at the bottom of the barrel, um, you know, there's no, because, I mean, it's not like, uh, USC is, uh, uh, you know, playing slow or fewer plays or, you know, there's no mathematical way that you could probably explain that. Right. Uh, other than they're just not calling penalties yeah. on the people, USC fight.
1: If anything, you look at the For athletes, whatever people, reason. Yeah. USC has more athletes, especially during the Pete Keller era, you know, Pete Keller era, like, you would try to you know, try to do a little bit more, would you you know, you're but it was almost like Shaq when you wouldn't call penalties on Shaq because he was so big. I mean, a foul's, you know uh on anyone like Shaq was guarding or, you know, some you, you know, it's it's you couldn't do it. Shaq was too big, so he wouldn't get the benefit of the doubt all the time. You almost feel like it's the same sort of thing.
2: Well, you know, the the thing is though, when you're playing people that are, you know, less talented and happen to do things just to say it again. They ought to be getting more pounds. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it does not pass the smell test in terms of, oh yeah, there's an explanation. No, there's not. Yeah. <laughs> Other than one, there's only one, <laughs> you know. And, and, and as USC was, uh, you know, finishing up the sections and all that, they were playing fewer plays. I mean, I think what would explain the first few years there is the fact that USC slowed the games down. They tried to play. You know, fewer plays, they didn't have as many players, so I think they, you know, purposely tried to slow the game down, uh, had fewer plays, therefore you'd have fewer penalties. So your opponent, you know, would have fewer penalties. Uh, but, you know, they're not doing that anymore. So, uh, oh well, but I think you're right. They're, they're, any uh, perception of, uh, that they're probably leaning in one direction would probably be true. Uh,
1: Mark and Laquita, says uh, it appears that the USC offensive line, uh, the linemen, were complaining about the Oregon defense clapping hands and otherwise interfering with the snap count. Did anyone ask about it?
2: They did. Yes, uh, Coach Conley talked about it. Uh, they, you know, USC is very hesitant to criticize the officials, but we did ask him, and he said yes, they were clapping. And we said, is that legal? He said, mm, probably not. Especially if you're, you know, using sound to, uh, uh, you know, on your offensive signals. Uh, so they, they said no question that Oregon was using, uh, you know, hand claps and, and kind of replicating what USC was, you know, with Cody, what they were doing. And, um, uh, nobody, not a single call, nothing, not, not any. USC, I think the only time I remember that, USC, Maybe got called for that at Utah once. Uh, but other than that, I don't think I remember anybody ever getting called for it against, against USC. But, uh, yeah, that happened. They talked about it and the officials did nothing about it. No question.
1: Um, okay. We, Alan called in and it was his voicemail was too long. So sorry, Alan. We're not going to be able to play it. But the general gist of what he was saying was he's from St. Louis, by the way. Um, he said he was reading things everywhere. That's saying this is really about bad coaching. Do you think that's rhetoric? Um, and he, he thinks it's bad coaching, but he wants to know, am I being an unreasonable fan or is coaching really this bad?
2: Yeah. Coaching, uh, for USC?
1: Yeah. For is the, is the, USC, the struggles. Do you think it's a lot of had to do with coaching? He says that everywhere he reads, it's all about coaching, 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 not really about the players. Well, is he, is that rhetoric? Yeah. Or
2: think- I mean, I think uh, over the years, they have made, a couple of really bad choices and i don't think there's any question when you get better coaching out of the two interim coaches than the two guys that you hired yeah usc made you know two really bad decisions about head coaches that two guys that really weren't ready or weren't ever going to be ready and had the kind of uh, issues that weren't going to allow them to ever be successful at usc and uh so i think it starts there and obviously when you know, and then what, uh, the last four years you've had to fire two coaches in the middle of the season. It's probably, uh, significantly, uh, about bad coaching. I don't think there's any question. Now, you know, where it is right now, uh, I would say this, the, the end of, I mean, obviously the second half of, uh, um, 2011, they had really good coaching because they let basically, I think, uh, you know, Red Ellison, and Matt Khalil and those guys coached the team and said, just follow us. And, uh and that team was awfully good and lane didn't get in the way. And then, um, uh, basically when, the, when Ed took over, I think they had, you know, considering all the issues that team had and a few players they had and all of that, that was a well, that was a well coached team. That was a good staff. I mean, we could all name those guys, but that was a very good coaching staff. So, uh, you know, if you want to go back over the five years and say, was it about coaching? Yeah, a lot of it was about coaching. Is it about coaching right now? And I think Clay's doing the best he can with the people he's got, uh, you know, the staff he's got and the way everything is, is broken down this year. I don't think it's impossible to, you know, to pick up the team on, you know, Sunday of Notre Dame week and all of a sudden now what do you do? Uh, but, um, but there are, yeah, there there are coaching issues. And if you had to say, is it one thing over any other, that would probably be, the you know, the number one thing. But uh, they still don't have you know, enough uh, veteran players. They don't have enough veteran leaders, you know, upper class guys, and all that kind of thing. Not like they, you know, usually uh, would have had. So, you know, they might not have quite the talent differential that you used to see with USC. So it, it, it's both of those things. but. Uh, the coaching would be number
1: one. All right. Let's go to Dave and Glendora. He says, Back when Cody Kessler and Max Wittick were competing for the starting quarterback job, I heard multiple times on your podcast about how athletic Cody Kessler was. It was stated several times that he could dunk a basketball when he was a sophomore in high school. I think it was actually in eighth grade. Um yep. th- These comments were made in the context that he would be bringing athleticism and mobility to the quarterback position. Uh Over the time that Cody has been the starter we have not seen this very much especially this season obviously to make these statements uh you'd have seen something in practice that would you know back up your comments my question is what happened to cody on top of it it's my opinion he has regressed this season and tends to make very questionable decisions especially by a veteran senior quarterback uh it's like his confidence is shot i'm not bashing cody but i'm curious to hear your opinion on why things went in the wrong direction is it that the poor guy he had so many coaching changes during his time at SC. Dave from Glendora, California.
2: You know, I mean, I don't think there's any question that Cody looks a little slowed down. Uh, I mean, not only could he dunk a basketball in the eighth grade, as, as, as Ryan said, but he averaged 29 points a game with like, you know, five, what was it, 10 rebounds and five assists, some ridiculous number as a junior. Didn't play as a senior, concentrated on football. Um I mean I think some of it is uh physical some of it is just the way he you observe him I mean we've tried I actually have talked to him about uh he wears linebacker shoes okay he doesn't wear the running he doesn't wear the ba- the shoes that the backs and the wide receivers wear uh he wraps his ankles uh so it looks like he's wearing high tops so he and this is probably a reference you know that you know, you guys won't all pick up on, but he looks like Johnny Tunnidas out there. And he moves kinda of, and he doesn't move the way he used to move. I, I don't know why exactly. He's very careful, he's very cautious. He doesn't do crazy stuff. Uh when people say he makes bad decisions, as Clay we tried to talk to Clay uh uh Sunday night about the uh throwing the ball five yards when yeah. you needed, you know, seven or eight, uh on third down. And he says that's what they teach him to do. And if the linebackers drop, they throw the ball underneath and hope something happens, like hope one of the linebackers has a heart attack or something. I guess that I that know. was the
1: most disturbing yeah. part of that Sunday night conference, Dan. Like to him, especially when you see it happen against Stanford when you're down ten and you got to score quickly. It doesn't matter if they drop an extra guy into coverage. You can't dump it off underneath. And and for what Clay Helton's saying. That's what they teach them to do. I don't know why you even have those kind of patterns in the in the design there. That just doesn't make any sense to me.
2: Yeah, what's the point of having, you know, uh, an outlet if that's not going to do you any good at all? Yeah. I mean, there is no point in having one of those guys there. You know, run them all down the field, and maybe one of the defenders falls down. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's something. I mean, you just have to, you know, run picks you know, and run crossing routes yeah. and just do, I mean, it's, down it's the very field. frustrating. Yeah, when Oregon's got you know six touchdown passes, the shortest which was twenty one yards and twenty six yards and thirty, you know six yards and forty eight yards and fifty whatever yard, and, and, and USC's just struggling to you know dink and dunk, and so they'll score on a you know fifty some yard you know touchdown pass, and then here comes USC and they go out and throw a three yarder and a four yarder and a two yarder or whatever, and it's like come on, but. The attack has definitely gone, uh, you know, like Lane and like, uh, Sark, where it's basically to the sidelines and short. And that's what they do. And, you know, and I know people can going to say, well, Cody has made, you know, bad decisions. And you think, what other decision is there to make? You can't throw the ball to somebody who's not there. You can't complete a pattern that you didn't run. Uh, and, I don't disagree with the fact that I don't Juju's not a hundred percent now. Steven Mitchell's not a hundred percent. I mean, I think Deontay Burnett is, I, you know, I mean, I just find guys who are a hundred percent and run them down the field. But I think and I think part of the problem is, okay, they don't, uh, they keep the tight end in because they got to have him to block uh, because they, they don't trust the offensive line. That's a problem. Um, uh, they don't, you know, they don't run the ball consistently well enough, uh, as well as, you know, as much better as they are running the ball, they don't run it consistently well enough to, uh, make the play action pay us such a threat. So teams essentially just say, we're going to stop the run and we don't think you're going to take advantage of us, um, uh, throwing the ball deep and USC won't. And they took, you know, a couple of shots. And it was like, wow, they took a couple of shots. Well, so take more, but they, uh, but I don't, I won't put that on Cody. I, I mean, I really won't. Uh, I do think I'm not seeing the same arm strength that I did. And this is something nobody will talk about. Nobody's ever going to admit to. I'm not sure if there's not some issue there. Uh, he does at times look more like he's flipping the ball uh, than than really just getting on top of it and drilling it. But, um, you know, uh, he doesn't quite look like the same player.
1: All right. Um, let's see. Let's go to Stephen Poway. He says, I know it might seem trivial to discuss this issue during the week of a devastating loss to Oregon, but one thing uh, from last Saturday's game did provide was a window onto Matt Bormeister's kicking ability. So, does USC have a kicker on the roster who can kick the ball off uh, out of the opponent's end zone instead of to the 20- or 10-yard line? I know Oregon does, but do we? Stephen Poway.
2: Again, this is what you talk about player development. Uh One of the things we were very impressed with a year ago was what a big leg Matt Bormeister had. And now... I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, the first kickoff, I think, went to, you know, barely past the 20. Um, you know, I thought there was an accuracy issue, uh, with the field goals that, uh, but I was, to say the least, a little shocked that it looked like, uh, uh, you know, that it, it just dropped off. I mean, it's just that distance and that ability to kick the ball through the end zone. And, um I guess it's no surprise when I was looking at the uh, pac twelve he had the uh nominees for the different uh different uh positions and there was, I think there' was through ten uh, like the all century team and through ten positions including uh kicker u s c has zero of the ten now u s c has seven of the ten greatest running backs in the pac twelve history and four of the best ten uh Wide receivers and five of the best ten safeties and four of the best ten return guys and five of the best ten linebackers. That's in the whole league. So USC has five linebackers who are considered the the top ten, and the whole rest of the league, and the whole history of the league has also has five. But when it comes to kickers, USC has zero of ten. So the ten greatest kickers in the act well, none of them are from USC. Uh, punters usc has won our boy tom Malone, who was by far the best punter i've ever seen in college football before he hurt himself unfortunately when he was a sophomore and averaged almost 50 yards a punt uh but they didn't ever hit the punt the ball, so he didn't win the, uh, the championship he was the best punter in the country by far but why it is that usc has not had a kicker i can't i can't even begin to tell you that uh-huh. uh that they've never been I mean it's not like they're not investing scholarships they have two scholarship kickers right now and two scholarship punters yeah you ought to out of four scholarship guys you probably ought to be able to get uh, somebody that can kick it into the end zone or somebody that can you know you don't have to just bounce it away from people but uh, so far they've not had any luck that you know we can remember
1: We got uh, a question from,
2: other than Tommy Malone.
1: Tommy Malone, yeah. Question from Tana. I'm so happy Cal Los Angeles won and really proud of Justin Davis. He has surprised me this season. I call our running back group Earth, Wind and Fire. Trey Madden brings the big bruiser Earth. Justin Davis brings the swift wind and Ronald Jones being the electric runner Fire. Anyways. So that was kind of interesting, uh, intro. (laughs) Anyways, who has surprised you the most this season besides any of the freshmen? From Tana, anyone surprised you is, the most? Uh, is
2: it, are we limiting it to just the um, uh, just the running backs? No, or no, everybody. I, well,
1: yeah, I think there was like an intro on running backs, but then you know anyone that would surprise you because she's
2: anyone is surprised me, huh? That's a really good question. I mean, we do see him enough. The positive surprises aren't you know other than the freshmen who you really don't know enough about until you actually see him play. As far as, uh, after that, I don't think so. I don't think there have been any of those kinds of surprises. There maybe have been some surprises in the direction you don't want them to be, you know, surprising you. Uh, but, uh, as far as the positive surprises, hmm, I, really don't, I don't think there have been that, uh, surprise. I don't know. Can you think of any, Ryan? You know,
1: like, uh, I think Delvon Simmons was a little, you know, he's come on lately. That's been kind of a positive, um,
2: you know, and, but I mean, I think with Delvon, we expected him to be that player yeah. this year. <laughs> he wasn't that player and he didn't start out as that player this year, but now he's kind of become that player. Yeah. I, I would, I would definitely agree with that. But the surprise element is only because he wasn't there, um, uh, like he thought he might be, uh, and now he is.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Like I mean, I think some of the freshmen are. That's the obvious ones, but without.
2: Yeah, the freshmen. You got Cam Smith and uh, Ronald Jones, and uh, whenever he gets a chance, uh, a guy like Deontay, you know, uh,
1: Burnett. Yeah,
2: Burnett. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I think Marvell Tell at times. Uh, uh, I think the freshmen have been where where the surprises are for sure um
1: upperclassmen wow not as much
2: no i don't think i mean and and justin is a good i mean he's gotten a chance but we i don't think there are any of us who didn't think he could do what he's doing I, i don't think so i think we all thought the guy you saw is the guy that he could be i don't i don't and he certainly i think has always you know felt that he could be that guy
1: Let's go to Jarrett. He said, there are extraordinary athletes all over the practice field at USC. My question is, regards to specifically the defensive front seven, who to you guys are the most physically imposing ooh and ah athletes you see practicing? So in the defensive front seven, Dan, from this is from Jarrett. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot. Like there's not like the, you know, Robert Condice guy kind of guys, like that you just, especially the rush ends, you know, the, Guys that just rushed the quarterback. That's where I think USC is kind of lacking as far as like just specimen athletes rushing the quarterback. But what do you
2: think? Yeah, and, and they don't get turned loose either. So you really don't maybe see them. I mean, every once in a while you'll say, you'll see Kenny Bigelow and say, wow, where did that come from? Or, or Delwan uh, every once in a while. But it's not something that you just consistently see. That's just not how, you know, they see their defense. So you don't see those guys turn loose. Uh, all that much um uh, you know physically i mean this this is one of the the really i think the biggest negatives of the five years you know the sanctions and all that is they decided maybe for self-preservation reasons and we you're going with uh, you know that many fewer scholarship players that they were not able to be you know necessarily a physically imposing team and usc has has gone away from being you know, the, the big bullies of, of the Pac 12 or Pac 10. And, uh, I think they've got to get back to that. That's what you hope with, uh, with the way this coaching thing works out is that you get a coach who's committed to doing what it is that USC has done over the years and, and doesn't go away. I mean, I thought, you know, it was kind of a, um uh, you know, a con man approach to, uh, we'll do what, you know, Sark wants to do on offense and we'll, you know, we'll go in this direction, and that's the that's the modern thing. Let's go, you know, you know, USC can be USC. Alabama can be Alabama. I mean, they're, you know, if Alabama had a good quarterback, you know, they can do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, but if you're in the Pac-12 and you're USC, you can have a good quarterback. And, uh, you know, they just have to, uh, I think, be USC. And a big part of that being USC is you are physically, you know, you physically impose your will. They've had, you know, powerful, you know, defensive linemen and powerful safeties and linebackers and people that really get after people. And that went away with when you hire two young offensive coordinators who don't understand what football is all about, don't understand how the game is played, at least certainly how it should be played by USC, uh, that's what you end up with. You end up with teams that, you know, are much more worried about the X's and O's than, you know, playing really physical football and dominating people, uh, you know, the way USC did for, you know, years and years and years, and they've got to get back to that.
1: Uh, here's a voicemail question for you, Dan.
0: This is Richard from Toluca Lake. I asked a question last week that didn't get answered, so I'm going to ask it again for Dan Weber. Uh Max Brown has been in the system for three years. He's played under four coaches. Uh outside of handing off meaningless handoffs in games that don't matter. He's never been in any uh, any game circumstances where it actually matters. My question is, how do you get ready for how do you get him ready for the Alabama game next year and do you think he will be ready? and he see the quarterback of the future. Enjoy the program. Thanks very much and fight on.
2: Yeah, I think he's ready. I think he'd be ready for UCLA this week if he had to be. I mean, I don't I don't think there's any question watching him in practice. He's ready. Um and it's a shame that the way this season's gone that he hasn't gotten that chance. I don't know that that's a, you know, a deal breaker that you if you haven't played, you can't play he can play. Uh I mean, a, I very well remember the, uh, USC opens at Auburn, uh, when Matt Liner, you know, got his first start. And, uh, you know, I think the first pass he threw, a, threw for a touchdown, uh, and that was an Auburn team that had, you know, a ton of NFL players and some people thought they were the best team in the country and, uh, didn't seem to bother them. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think they've got a, a pretty good chance to, you know, to come out and, Play really well uh you know with max brown if that's the way they go in terms of you know how who the coach is who the new coach is i think he's absolutely ready and um uh, i think he could do some some really good things i mean he throws a deep fall that is just terrific and we see that all the time yeah he throws it effortlessly and he's very confident and very comfortable and they're very confident and comfortable with him doing that so uh yeah, I think, uh, I think they're fine. I think that's, uh, that's probably a worry that uh, need not be a worry.
1: Um, yeah, it'd be nice to get him some, some reps, but yeah, that obviously that hasn't happened, but he's, he, he does look ready. So, um, okay, we got a couple, we got a weird, like, obscure one and we have two coaching ones. So I'll do the coaching one first and we'll finish off with the, the weird one. Um, Mike and Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara. After the loss to Oregon, the spotlight has certainly dimmed for Clay Helton to become USC's next head coach. However, he has certainly demonstrated that he has talent as a coach and the players will fight for him. The loss to Oregon aside, the team came back from deficits deficits to win its previous two games, which is something unheard of under the last two coaches. My question is twofold. If USC does bring in a big-time head coach, is there a place on staff for Clay Helton in the same way that Coach Orgeron was offered the assistant head coaching position? And will Clay Helton be open to that role if offered? Thanks, Ryan, and fight on, Mike in Santa Barbara.
2: Yeah, Mike, I think that's a really good uh, point, Uh, especially if, uh, you know, it turns out, let's say, that it's an NFL guy. And, uh, you know, you really do need uh, somebody there as the transition guy, as the, you know, carryover guy, maybe as the assistant head coach, associate head coach, whatever you want to call it. with a nice bump in salary as a reward, you know, for jumping in there for the second time, the way Clay has done it, yeah, I think absolutely there would be a there would be a role. Uh, you if you do go ahead and you know name somebody else, you would think chances are it's going to be before the ball game, and uh, with the uh, with the thought that you'd really want that kind of continuity and not what happened. I mean, I would think they're absolutely going to try to avoid at all costs, what happened last time when I I guess there was kind of a mini riot when Pat told the uh, team what was going to happen and it wasn't going to be Ed and all of that. that, And you want to avoid that. Uh, And so uh, I would think that would be actually a a good chance that that would happen. Now, whether Clay is in a position, if, say, the Memphis job opens up, is he, um, you know, here's what we don't know as much as we're trying to make these decisions USC could lose this week and they could end up in the Las Vegas Bowl you know whatever six they could end up with the number six bowl spot in the Pac-12 they could win this weekend and you know six days later they could you know upset Stanford and end up in the Rose Bowl I mean think about how different Clay Helton's future will be even though people say oh it can't be based on this game or that game it will be and you know he could end up going to the rose ball end up winning the rose ball you know based on the oregon game that ain't going to happen but uh you know stranger things have happened i mean they're the favorite against uh ucla this you know, this weekend so you know, it's not like people think that's this crazy talk that um but i I think again we may be a know, ahead of ourselves, but uh I think without a doubt that's a possibility that, that he would be the holdover guy and that you know, with somebody like T Martin. And they, you know, they they would be the 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 people that are trying to keep the program uh you know going until you get the new the new guys in here. Uh
1: all right, Mitch at LA had a question. He said, This is for Dan. Up until today, I would have put this in the pipe dream category, but I'm really starting to think that the next USC head coach is going to be John Gruden. It's not because of his Super Bowl pedigree or that he will instantly be considered one of the best recruiters by his name alone in the history of college football. It's because in the next 12 months or so, USC is going to have to do the next to impossible, and that is try to convince donors to pay huge PSLs, personal seat licenses, to help fund the revamping of the Coliseum. When the PSL push starts, it's going to cause mass cardinal and gold booster and long-time season ticket holder cancellations, the like that has never been seen before. Never happened before. Uh, what could possibly stem uh, stem that from happening? Chucky roaming the sidelines in cardinal and gold. What do you think, Mitch in L.A.? I
2: guess I don't know. I, I'm one of those people who thinks you'd have to probably practice with Chucky on the sidelines. It's been so long since he's been on the sidelines. Uh, And, uh, you know, I know we're talking about recruiting. When was the last time he recruited anybody to do anything? Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I I know we can come up with these names, but what is there in his most recent, you know, uh, part of his life, uh that translates in any way to running the USC football program. I'm not sure there's any part of it that that does. Uh, and so, you know, yeah. yeah I mean, there are uh, people that you could say, wow, this guy would have an immediate impact on the fundraising. And, uh again, we don't know. I mean, I, clearly, there have been some big names who've made phone calls to USC or their agents have. And clearly those conversations are going on. Uh And clearly the impact on, um, you know, fundraising for the Coliseum is a major factor. And if I were, you know, Pat Aiden, and that was going to be my responsibility, I'd want that too. Uh Whether, you know, Chucky is the right guy to do that. I mean, there are all kinds of, you know, how many years does he have left on his ESPN contract? He probably will be the last guy with a giant, you know, espn contract but if he's got three or four more years like uh you know we're the most recently we've been hearing that um i can't imagine he'd want to leave that and go to an uncertain future i mean was he ever a big-time college coach i don't think so uh you know i think his his dad might have coached it, it you know Dayton places like that. And he knows what it's like. He's been around it. But, uh, you know, the idea that you would jump into that, having been so removed from it for so many years, would be, uh, I just think that that's not what you need.
1: All right, we got one last one. This is a little weird one from David. We haven't heard this for a while, but it used to be a common question. He says, hello, Ryan, love the show. Keep up the hard work and the information you guys provide. My question is for Dan. So he said hello to me, but the question's for you, Dan, so I'm not sure what that means. But he said, any status on Bryce Dixon, and will he be able to rejoin the team next season? Love the show. Fight on from David.
2: I think, you know, we're hearing that he's doing well in class, that uh, he is a good student, and and he's hanging in there. I mean, he could have gone, maybe gone somewhere else and, uh, uh, you know, been set to go somewhere else now. He's stuck at USC. So now, if he can't play at USC next year, he's going to miss another year. And that's really difficult. So, uh, or at least if he's going to go uh, FCS level, or excuse me, FBS level. But um, um, it wouldn't surprise me that after a year, the process gets started where they say, look, we know that he, this is a railroad job, and we know it. We, we gave in to the, uh, federal government, as this is, they've said basically that you're supposed to railroad all these guys that are in these situations. And so after a year, okay, we railroaded you, now we'll let you come back. My guess is that's what might happen. Even USC, with the politically correct environment and all of that, finally says, uh, it probably shouldn't be a lifetime sentence, uh, as badly as the process was, was handled, uh, as unfair as that process was, um, you know, we'll we'll back off and say, and if anybody comes after us and say, Hey, we took a year out of this kid's life and even though we had no idea whether he did anything wrong and we had no proof that he did anything wrong and the process that you know determined that he may have done something that we think may have been wrong uh, we took a year out of his life, so he can come back now. That would be my guess as to how this plays out. The fact that he's still there makes me think that's a real possibility.
1: All right. Well, we knew you'd have a good update for that one. So it's a <laughs> kind of obscure one, but, um, thanks for all the questions, and everything. And thanks, Dan, for sharing your insights. I thought it would be really interesting with, uh, rivalry week and, uh, just to let people know, you know, um, we're going to do a, uh, Pac 12 podcast live at Barney's Beanery on Tuesday. So this is where this is going to drop Tuesday morning. Um, so you might not hear this in time, but if you're around and you're in the Westwood area, Barney's, uh, it's, I think, I don't know if it's Barney's Beanery or just Barney's, uh, but Barney's in Westwood. We're going to do a little, uh, at 430 to 7 PM, we'll do our, uh, Pac 12 podcast show. So that should be, uh, going into enemy
2: territory, eh?
1: Yeah, we're doing enemy territory. You know, we're, we're, people asking like, well, why? Well, I
2: understand, uh, UCLA people don't want to come anywhere near USC, right? Yeah. We figured uh, there's USC people in uh, Westwood. They're so afraid of, you know, all (laughs) of that. So, uh, you have to go there,
1: but we'll try to do, we're going to try to do some more of these. I don't know. No one might show up, Dan. We have no idea. When you do it for a specific school, like we do USC stuff, we get a lot of people to come. This is more kind of a general Pac 12 thing. So I'm, I'm curious to see if people uh, show up for it. But yeah, if you're around, come by. You go to pack 12 uh, podcastcom for more details on that too. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks again. I just wanted to kind of throw that last part in there. And uh thanks everyone for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Uh We really enjoy that you come on and send us all the feedback. It's been great. And then stay tuned for a quick message from Michael Moline Real Estate.
0: estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at Estate.com. That's Michael M-O-L-I-N-E real Estate.com.